0: Do you need to copyright your content? What's the difference between a trademark and a copyright? Can you get sued for sharing a client's testimonial? Nowadays, creators and coaches can start their businesses with just a computer. Unfortunately, many of them tend to overlook the legal aspect of their business. That's why I decided to interview Jamie, a lawyer based in Canada. If you are running your business in the US, this episode could still be useful for you, but make sure you find adequate information for the state in which you run your business. I hope you enjoy it. Welcome to The Grind Podcast. I'm your host, Erika Peter, content marketing specialist, journalist, and founder of The Grind. So The Grind is a platform dedicated to millennial creatives and coaches. If you want to understand how to build a successful business, make sure you subscribe. Every week, I will interview Millennium creatives and coaches, and I will give you marketing tips. So welcome to the family. Hi, Jamie. Welcome to the Millennium Grinders podcast. Thank you for being here.
1: Hi, Erica. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really looking forward to this.
0: Yes, me too. I mean, this episode has been a long time coming. The legal aspect to a business is so underestimated that I knew that I needed a lawyer to talk about it. So I'm glad that Laura from Broadham Brand Management recommended you. So first thing first, I'm going to let you introduce yourself.
1: Sure, thank you. Well, my name is Jamie Bell. I'm the founder of The Contracts Market, which is a an e-commerce shop that provides legal contract templates for Canadian Entrepreneurs, um, coaches, and creatives. And I'm also the founder of Wild Coast Law, which is a law firm that mainly supports entrepreneurs in British Columbia.
0: Nice. So tell me a bit about your business. What led you to launch it?
1: Sure. So um, I started working as a lawyer in Toronto. I'm, I'm originally from Ontario. I recently just moved to British Columbia. And I worked for some bigger law firms doing um, corporate, commercial, and real estate law. And to be honest, I really thought that I was going to leave law. It wasn't something I was Mm. overly excited about. I didn't connect very well with my clients. Most of them were pretty large corporations. And at one point, Mm -hmm. I actually went in-house and worked for one of the largest real estate companies in Canada. But I still just didn't have that love for what I was doing. And so when I moved out west, I took a bit of time off to really consider what I wanted to do. And I actually checked out a few different career paths. I actually took a life coaching course because I thought I wanted to go into um, health coaching just because I've I've always been fascinated with the wellness industry and, and live my life pretty well health wise (laughs) I was like oh I could help other people do that and so I actually took a life coaching course and and then I pivoted and was like oh maybe I'll coach lawyers to find a life that they love like a different career and tested that out for a while and actually realized that I didn't want to be a coach very quickly (laughs) but it was a really good lesson for me in um, going through that entrepreneurial path and and just trying something out, I think a lot of times yeah. we get so fixated on like one path, and then we're so far down that garden path that we we feel too committed to leave it. So I'm glad that I spent a little bit of money, did my certification, and then um, and and pivoted back. And then after a few conversations with different people, I realized I actually didn't mind being a lawyer per se. It was just this disconnect between the work that I was doing and the clients I was helping. And so when I sat back and really thought about who are the kind of people that I want to be working with in my day to day, I realized, number one, it wasn't with other lawyers coaching them. (laughs) Um, No offense to other lawyers, if there's any listening to this podcast, but I didn't really want to be working with them every day. I was already doing that and wasn't that happy. And so I thought, oh, it's actually this Creative entrepreneurial space. And a lot of that inspiration came from just the podcast I was listening to, a lot of entrepreneurial podcasts. And I was like, how do I get myself into this world? Mm-hmm. So that's when I pivoted my legal career into helping small business only and mostly women, actually. Most of my clients are um, female or identify as female. And um, yeah, so that's how I started my law firm. And then out of that, I had. For the last three years, probably been thinking about how can I still work in law, have this more creative aspect to my work, and help more people and to mm-hmm. be totally transparent. How can I scale my business so I'm not working all the time? Because I didn't want to be a lawyer that worked, you know, 100 hours a week, which is pretty typical in, yes. in law land. So the idea of a, an e commerce shop with, uh, contract templates specifically for Canadians um, came to mind, and it was an idea that was brewing for a while. And I saw that there were there were other businesses that were similar in the states, but nobody was doing a good job for Canadian entrepreneurs yet. Yeah. yeah. And and there is a difference between them. So yeah. that's when I started Contracts Market. Great.
0: Okay, so let's jump into the topic uh, because we have a lot of things to cover. Yeah. (laughs) So I'd like to know first, what is the biggest mistake made by creatives and coaches when they're launching their businesses?
1: Sure. So I just want to say, first off, there's no judgment. This is like a judgment-free zone. And because I don't, I'm not a lawyer that thinks that you should be spending all of your savings on making sure that you're legally protected from the get-go as a coach. Um, That's not my mantra. There's definitely things that you want to be thinking about. But I'm going to speak about all of this. First of all, I'm not your lawyer. Just I'll give my little disclaimer. (laughs) So this is just for information purposes only and definitely seek your own legal counsel for your specific um, questions. But I'm going to take this as and give my answers as we're not in a particularly risky industry. So as life coaches or career coaches, th- there's not a lot of risk attached to this. So I'm going to be speaking to this from that perspective.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: The biggest mistake I see is that people treat their coaching business like a hobby. And there's this mentality that comes along with calling it a side hustle or um, it's, it's just their part-time gig or something like that. And mm-hmm. my experience is that actually <laughs> you're spending a lot more time usually developing this quote unquote side hustle than you are in your full-time job. A lot of the times people wake up in the morning early and they work on it and then they do their job and then they go home in the evening and they're working on it through the night. And it's actually, they're spending just as much time thinking about it and all of these things as their normal job. Um, of course. and then. But there's this mentality that comes along with calling it a side hustle. So I think my biggest piece of advice for everyone is start from the beginning just thinking like you're going to be a big deal and lay the proper foundations in place as much as you can from the start. Because my experience is that when people make that mental shift and be, they become much more confident in their business, and then the moment they stop treating it like a side hustle or a business or a, or a hobby, that's when they see their businesses. Grow very quickly, and that's when they have to do all this catch-up of putting the the proper foundations in place. Even something as simple as um, setting up a separate business account, or you know, having some Mm -hmm. kind of basic contract in place. It doesn't have to be perfect; just something in place so that when you get three or four clients sign up in a week, you know that's a great thing that could happen. Realistically, that you're not all of a sudden struggling to put those processes in place at that point.
0: Yeah, you're not catching up. Exactly,
1: because you, by that point, once you've got some clients, you want to be putting your energy into coaching those clients versus trying to figure out like how to get them to electronically sign an email or, or something like that mm-hmm. or a contract. Yeah, so exactly.
0: You're ready to work. You're ready yes. to
1: work and, and you're not wasting your energy on these administrative things that could have been put into place, even rudimentary things, once you've signed some clients.
0: Mm-hmm. So, all right. So, when you launch a business, there are different business structures to pick from. Mm-hmm. Would you talk about them and explain their advantages and disadvantages?
1: Sure, of course. Um, so, the most common for coaches when they're starting out is as what we call a sole proprietor. So, you're a one person show. And if you haven't specifically created a partnership or you haven't incorporated a company, then Surprise, you're you're operating as a sole proprietor. And the, the advantages of that is that it's really easy to set up. You just register your business name with your province and that you're operating as a sole proprietor. And, and that's pretty much it. It's very inexpensive. You get a business number along with that and you get all the profits. You're also on the hook for any debts. Um, the biggest disadvantage is that you're personally liable for everything because there's no difference between you and your business. There's no, you're one and the same legal entity. So you are your business, and if there was ever some kind of lawsuit or you became liable for anything, then you are responsible for those debts. So if you own a home, for instance, and you're sued by a client – your home or your savings or your car or anything can be used to satisfy those debts. Again, in a coaching situation, it's not what I consider a particularly risky industry. So usually Mm -hmm. why people decide to move on to incorporating is a financial reason. And we can talk about that a little bit more. But yeah, sole proprietor is pretty basic there's no different business filings when it comes to tax season. Your income is your company's income. And you're also taxed um, at, your, at the personal tax levels versus the corporate tax levels So, or tax rates. So that, that we can talk about when we're talking about the incorporation process. But that's typically why coaches end up incorporating is because they want to take advantage of the tax tax advantages Mm -hmm. so the second form of structure is a partnership and that's not quite as common in the coaching industry where I see it and that's exactly what it sounds like it's when two people team up for the view to profit and they form a partnership and I won't get into too much unless you see that quite a bit Erica but I don't see that Mm -hmm. a lot in coaching I typically see people move from they're either a sole proprietor or they end up being incorporated.
0: Corporate, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I think so too.
1: Yeah, and then, so company is what it sounds like. And When you incorporate, that's the legal term, you form a separate company. And once you incorporate, then there are two legal entities, yourself and your business. So once you formed a company, in the eyes of the law, a business is a person. So they get all the same rights. Your company gets all the same rights as a person would get. So some of the advantages of that are the limited liability, which means that if your company is sued, then typically, and there's always little caveats to it, but that the company is liable for the debt. So if you own your house personally, but your company is sued, then the person who is suing your company can't use your house to satisfy that debt or that liability. Mm -hmm. Um, the other advantage of having a company is, and this isn't as typical for coaches, but often if you need investment money, people won't invest or loan to um, a sole proprietor. They'd rather know that there's a company there because then you can give them a piece of that company or, or an exchange or for value. And then um, a company, you'll get more name protection as well. So that's, that's come up. A few times actually, with my clients, is they've registered a business name, and then lo and behold, they see that somebody is operating a business with a very similar name as them, Mm -hmm. and they've incorporated that company under a very similar business name. While when you register your business name, you don't actually get very much name protection with that, because when people go to incorporate a business, that name that they, and I don't want to get too technical, but the when you choose a company name, it actually doesn't search the business name registry. So for instance, say I was operating Contracts Market as a sole proprietor and my business name was Contracts Market. If a separate person wanted to go out and use Contracts Market Inc. as their company name, when they filed that search, my business name wouldn't come up because the two registries, for whatever reason, don't check each other, mm-hmm. so they would actually be able to incorporate a company using Contracts Market Inc. So that's a loophole that has happened recently for two or three people who have reached out to me saying, "Hey, this person just incorporated a company using my name," and they didn't know that that didn't happen. Which, to be honest, I don't fault them for because it's a weird loophole that I don't know why it exists. <laughs> so yeah, so but getting away, that's just something for people to kind of. No. Um, The disadvantages of company are that it's more expensive to form. Of course, there's there's registration fees. Um, They're about 350 in B.C. I think they're pretty similar across the country. And um, usually I do recommend using a lawyer. Of course, I'm going to say that because I'm a lawyer, (laughs) but using a lawyer to incorporate your company if you have the funds to do that. Because what I often see is that people don't issue their shares or they don't have a minute book, which are all the company records that you need for your company when you form it. And so they go to do a transaction down the road or they try to pay themselves and there's no shares issued. Mm. So then you have to figure out how to create those and, and go back and recreate everything. So. um it, if you have the funds, I do recommend working with a lawyer, and then you just develop a relationship that way. But uh, you do not need a lawyer to incorporate; you can do it yourself through the through the registry office. And then the I missed one tax: the advantage of a company is you get a lower tax rate. Okay, so there is a benefit there, but that only becomes applicable when, and it's different for everybody, and that's why I like working with accountants. But you' when the money there's enough money that you're making that you don't need to take it all out of your company at once, so if you become to a point where you're making enough money that you can survive on like a salary that you draw from your company and then leave some of that in your com the money in the company, that's usually a good rule of thumb for when you should talk to somebody about incorporating and see if it financially makes sense so you can take advantage of that lower tax rate
0: okay makes a lot of sense yeah, um you know you were talking about registering, you know, your business name and so forth. And yeah. I think that one thing that is not really understood is the difference between copyright and trademark. Mm-hmm. Would you explain this?
1: Sure. Copyright and trademark. So these are two different forms of intellectual property. And intellectual property are unique unique works that are created by an author. Um, so copyrights are for certain pieces of work. So you, and it's create. it's copyright protects the rights of the creator of the work. Mm-hmm. So the work could be um, any form of like, it could be a photograph, uh, literary work, dramatic work, musical, artistic, something that you're uniquely creating. And so like a photograph, for instance, if you take a photo, you inherently get copyrights to that photograph. A trademark is protecting your brand. So it's not so much a creative work. It is the overall commercial piece of work. So Mm -hmm. (laughs) um, like a name, like Contracts Market Inc., for instance, or a phrase, like McDonald's has their logo, Mm -hmm. their name, and... Da 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 da! I'm loving it. (laughs) That that actual like little song is a trademark. Okay, they've created that. It's like the overall branding of McDonald's, for instance, is that that's the trademark. So that is that clear? Yes, it is. It it can be a pretty like gray zone, but trademark think of it more as like your overall brand aesthetic. Mm -hmm. Whereas copyright, for instance, if you create a digital download with thirty email titles that work would be, you'd want to copyright that. Whereas when you're creating a brand with logos and a trademark and different colors or brand logos, a slogan that you'd want to trademark.
0: So anytime a company change, you know, their logo or so forth, you know, like Nike changed their, their slogan at some point. Yeah. They have to trademark it every time, right?
1: They would. Yeah. They would because they have a lot of financial incentives riding on that.
0: Yeah. Okay, so thinking about creatives, um, do they need to copyright? I mean even coaches actually, uh, do they need to copyright each creation?
1: So I don't want to get too technical about it, but there's two different forms of copyright that we can have. One is probably the one that you're thinking about, would you which is actually you physically register your work with the Copyright Office of Canada. Mm-hmm. It's not that expensive to do, but It is an expense. And so if you created, like, for instance, I have a few clients who you've probably seen them around the internet where they've created, you know, a hundred ideas for TikTok, for instance. And so they have a list. uh, It's just an Excel spreadsheet with a hundred different ideas for your TikTok videos and the names that you can use. So for instance, in that situation, I might recommend registering that for an official copyright regist- application with the, tra- with the copyright office because they're going to have financial gain mm-hmm. associated by selling that. And they will have a financial loss if someone copies it. So, yes, you can register that piece of unique work for copyright. The one thing you have to remember is that there's no copyright police out there acting for you. So, say you register it, you get your copyright, you sell it to the world, and then you find out that someone's using that exact piece of work that you've created in their business, you're the one that has to go after them and start an action and prove that they're stealing from Mm -hmm. you and they've infringed on your copyright. So having the copyright application is, is always a great piece because it shows that yes, you are the original creator of that work, but you're also the one enforcing it. So it's a balance, right? Like you have to decide for a piece like that, it's it's 50 bucks or something like that to register your unique work with the Copyright Office. But if you have 40 different things <laughs> that you create in your business, it might not make sense all the time. There is a financial scale that you have to think about there. Now, the other side of copyright is that you don't actually have to register your work to get copyright in your work Mm -hmm. it inherently just is granted to you when you create the work you're just going to have a harder time proving that you're the unique creator of it so yeah so for instance if you're a photographer um, you would take the photo and your client purchases it from you you might just give them a license to use that work Mm -hmm. you might retain the original copyright in that piece of work or for coaches for instance you've created a resource manual or a workbook or something like that which is provided to your clients as part of your coaching program you in your coaching agreement might say I'm giving you this workbook I'm still retaining all the copyright in that but you're getting a one-time license to use it for the purposes that I've told you that you can for the for using and buying this coaching program from me. So, you don't need to actually register that workbook with the applica- with the copyright office in order to let your let the world know that you're the owner mm-hmm. of that
0: copyright. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. I have another question. So, when you pick, you know, a website host, which which pretty much everybody is doing right now, um mm-hmm. you can pay, you know, to own your domain. So, I'd like to know Owning your domain, is it the same thing as registering your name? No,
1: registering your business yes. name or
0: registering trade? Sorry, your business name. Okay. Mm-hmm.
1: So it's not the same because your trade, the website domain is just an asset. Mm-hmm. It's just something you're buying. Whereas your business name is something you have to register with the government of your province to show that you're doing business under that name. So no, it doesn't automatically, if you buy a website domain, it doesn't automatically mean that the government recognizes you as operating under that business name. Um, if you own a website domain, that might be something that you show and include as part of your trademark registration. So if you, if you wanted to put a trademark application in, it would be one of the things that would fall under that, that trademark application. Also, owning the, the website domain name would be evidence if you, again, there's two forms of trademark, one, you can register and get a, like, um, a registered trademark or you're afforded common law trademark rights, which means you haven't done the registration application for your trademark, but you can show that you've generated goodwill and you've been operating under this name and you've created this brand and logo that's unique to you. So that's, and if you ever had someone infringe it, you could show that, no, I haven't registered trademark, but I've been operating under this name and I have a website domain, mm-hmm. for instance, or people have been buying from me under this name. And that's all evidence to show that you have common law trademarks, trademark rights. Okay. So no, a website registration doesn't prove anything. <laughs> um, it just goes as evidence to show that it's all one and that you're operating under that brand.
0: Okay, okay. So it can still be useful in the end.
1: Exactly, yeah. And if you have if you're operating under a business name, it makes a lot of sense to have the same website. Um, exactly.
0: Domain name. Exactly. Yeah. Okay, so now let's talk about contracts. Um mm-hmm. I think that More my topic. <laughs> Um, Okay, so I think that new entrepreneurs, they tend to undervalue their importance because they finally got a client, you know, so there is some excitement Mm -hmm. and they don't want to be too difficult. So that's why so many Mm -hmm. of them fall into the trap of not, you know, having formal contract. And then they have Mm -hmm. verbal agreement. Is this Mm -hmm. protected by law?
1: So verbal agreements are protected by law, but in order to enforce it, you'd have to go to court. Because that's the only way that you could prove the evidence of having a verbal agreement, and that's going to be way more expensive than just having something to show on paper. Mm. (laughs) I mean, if you were going to, if you had to enforce a contract and it ended up in really having to go in front of a judge or a mediator arbitrator, it's way easier and going to be way more cost effective to have something on paper that's evidence versus he said she said or trying to show that people's behavior is evidence of the intent between the parties. Mm-hmm. So, long story short, a verb you can have a verbal agreement. Do I recommend it absolutely not. I would way rather have an, an email. Mm-hmm. Like have something in email saying these are the terms, please respond by saying I confirm this is great, let's go. <laughs> you know? Um, it's going to be so much easier for everybody and not just in a situation where you have to enforce it and go to court. Like things come up in relationships along the way, and, and that's what a contract is. It's just laying out the terms of your relationship. So it's always a great idea to have something to come back and point to to show, no, we actually agreed to this. And, and your client might say, oh, yeah, I forgot. So perfect. Thanks for reminding me. You know, it's all, it's way better to have a contract.
0: <laughs> of course. Yeah. And, and actually, what is the biggest mistake that creatives and coaches make when they are creating their contract?
1: The biggest mistake I see is that it's which you might be surprised to hear is that they're usually too in favor of their client. So, it's going back to the point which you raises which oh, I don't want to make this an issue for my client. I as a as getting my first few clients want to bend over backwards and show that I'll do anything to make sure that my client's happy at the end of the day for the services that I'm providing. And so often what I see is very one-sided contracts Mm -hmm. in favor of the client. Whereas if you're going to have a contract, let's make it fair and equal to both parties. And um, there's two other things. Usually the cancellation and rescheduling clauses are not clear. And so everybody asks if, if there's a deposit or a cancellation or something like that. Just make sure that those are very clear. We're seeing a lot of those murky, not so clear co- contract clauses raise their ugly heads now, especially because of COVID. Um, people not having the funds to to finalize their work terms, or you know, they just they they lost their job, so they can't carry on with the the coaching, whatever it is. Just make sure those clauses are really clear. The other thing that this is a very quick fix, but it's shocking how much I see is. Usually there's a clause in contracts that says what laws govern the agreement. Mm-hmm. Make sure that the laws of your province are are the ones that govern. Oh. Um, a lot of people will cut and paste their, their contracts off of Google oh. or, you know, take their favorite head coach's contract and, and tweak it for themselves, which I don't have a problem with. At least you have a contract. But I'll, I'll always know that they did this because it will say the laws of the province of California govern or the laws of Delaware or somewhere. And I'm like, oh, like that's a really – do you live in California? Like why? And she's like, oh, it's just what the contract said. I'm like, oh, well, make sure that the laws of your province govern. And this is especially important if you're working with clients all over the world because you want to make sure that you know what rules you're playing by and that if there's ever a dispute where it ended up in court, you're not flying to Australia to dispute it, <laughs> which if you don't have a governing laws clause in your contract, then your client might start the action in in their hometown. Mm-hmm. So that could be a very expensive problem. So and that's such an easy fix that I just like to remind people of that, because it's one thing if that they can change really quickly on their own.
0: But is it, that is easy as well for website terms of use and privacy policy? I feel like it's a little bit more complicated and people tend to also copy-paste it from other websites.
1: Yeah, so website terms of use, those should definitely be in line with how you operate business and, and how you... Um, allow people to use your content on your website or, or the resources, those free downloads, et cetera. And then the privacy policy, you raise a really good point. So when I'm talking about the governing laws clause, I'm talking about like a client service agreement or, or a contractor agreement. The privacy policy is a whole different beast and Canada is actually just coming out with new privacy legislation. So I've got my ears to the ground on that because we are in the Jurassic Park ages of privacy laws in Canada. So mm. I'm excited to see <laughs> I mean, that's so lame to say, but I'm excited to see that we're starting to have some stricter clauses because um, it is important. But you're right that you've probably heard of the GDPR, which is the general data privacy Reg- regulations uh, or protection regulations that govern anybody in- who is a resident of the European Union. So or California is the other Privacy law beast, where they have the the EU and California have the two strictest privacy po- legislation, and if you have users from either EU or California, then even as a Canadian provider, service provider, you need to be making sure that your your privacy policy. Is in line with the California and the EU one. So yes, you are right in that you can't just say that the privacy laws of Canada govern. If you have one user from EU or California come to your site, then you need to be in compliance with those security registry uh, security laws. Okay. So privacy policies are complicated. Um, you you can go and take them off somebody else's website. Just make sure if you do that. I mean, I don't recommend it. But if you do that, then just make sure that the way that the privacy policy is laid out is how you handle data. Because if you are collecting any data on your website, which includes an email address or even just cookies that track the information on the back end of websites, like where people are coming from or their um, URLs or anything like that, then that's considered information and you need a privacy policy. So just make sure that if there's a section on that privacy policy that, that sets out how users can ask that their data be deleted, which is a requirement, um, then you know how to do that and that that process is in line with your process. The, the privacy issues are being enforced against small businesses, for better or for worse. Mm-hmm. So as owners of websites, we need to know even high-level how the data is being stored and collected on our backend. Do not sell email addresses. Just stay mm-hmm. away from that. Don't be trading email lists, nothing like that unless you have got very clear consent from anybody who gives an email address. And we need to be very respectful of the data that we're creating and making sure that we're using very good platforms. Um, if you see a new, if you have an app or some kind of, you know, platform that you're interested in trying out and using for email marketing or anything like that, then just make sure that they they have compliance with the GDPR and the California privacy laws. So, you know, the, the Joe Blow app that's free, <laughs> just make sure that they are actually pretty solid security wise in the back end. Um, I typically recommend people just to use the bigger providers because they have way more security protections in place. I
0: agree. Well, I feel like by listening to your answer, a lot of people are going to sweat right now.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's an easy fix. I mean, I I mean, I mean, don't want to plug, <laughs> I don't want this to be salesy, but that's why I created the privacy policy because it allows people to know that they're covered, but then it also, it's up to date. So when new legislation comes out, Whoever buys a privacy policy just gets the newest privacy policy emailed to them as soon as it's ready to go so that they know that they're compliant because it is changing all the time and it's complicated stuff. But the great thing is, is that there's lower levels of compliance if you don't, if you're not collecting huge amounts of data. So Amazon, for instance, is going to have different requirements of how they collect, store and process data versus a solopreneur. So so I don't want it to be too scary, but you do need to respect what you're doing and and make sure that you do have a private, if you have a website, you have to have a privacy policy and that you have a little pop-up that says, hey, I've got a these terms of use and a privacy policy. You better accept them <laughs> or if not, leave my website. So just so that people are aware that, that it's there, don't just hide it in the, the bottom of your website and not have a pop-up. You actually need to have that pop-up where users actively accept them so yeah and nobody reads them i get that (laughs) but you can at least say that you have them um so that if the big brother comes knocking and says hey we're doing an audit on your website and your back end you can say well here's my privacy policy so or if you have a, a data breach
0: yeah and also you know like you protect yourself but you also protect your clients meaning that even though like you say they don't read it but at least it was yeah. there, you know, and it was very it's, clear. It's there exactly. And as
1: and as the laws change and people become more aware that they have a right to delete all the data that you've they've given mm-hmm. to other businesses, I expect that we'll see more people asking for that information to be deleted. I think so too. So just know your process. Know your process in the back end. It, it's not shouldn't be that complicated because all these bigger servers like Squarespace and WordPress, et cetera, they all have to be adapting to this. So it it should be pretty straightforward. Yeah, I think
0: you're right. People are more educated about those rights. And I'm not affiliated Mm -hmm. with your business, so Mm -hmm. I'm being honest. When I bought your bundle, I felt that it was really well done and also very clear. And I think that this can be very useful for new entrepreneurs who don't have the means to hire a lawyer from the beginning. And when I think about it, these types of templates are not that expensive mm-hmm. compared to the cost of getting sued.
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And, and I mean, the risk of probably most of your audience getting sued is pretty low, mm-hmm. I would say. Um, but it is just a way to sleep well at night and show people that you're taking the information that you collect really seriously And I think I alluded to it before. Um, And Erica, because you (laughs) have a bundle now, you'll probably see an updated privacy policy coming into your inbox Mm -hmm. from me once this new legislation is confirmed and we know what we're dealing with in Canada. So it's just one less thing for you as a new entrepreneur to worry about.
0: Exactly. Okay, so... I wanted to talk about uh, the digital world. You know, like earlier, we're talking about copyrights. And, you know, nowadays, promoting yourself on social media is very important, even more Mm -hmm. so since the beginning of the pandemic, since everybody is online. And Mm -hmm. so, you know, when I'm thinking about creatives and coaches who are sharing their creations to promote themselves on social media, although it can be beneficial to find new clients, they also can end up in a situation where people use their creations without permissions. What are mm-hmm. their rights? Because earlier you were talking about, you know, like when you create a bundle, you know, that's easy to download by email. But when I talk mm-hmm. specifically about social media, what are their rights?
1: Yeah, so... Definitely a wild, wild west out there mm-hmm. in terms of it's so easy to share content. I mean, I think I use that repost it app all the time where I'm <laughs> just like, oh, this looks good and repost it. Uh, but what you we do is, first of all, as a creator of content, use that, you know, the little C copyright yep. symbol, use that everywhere on all your downloads with your business name and the year that you created it. That's just evidence to the world that you're the unique creator of that. Mm -hmm. So that's one little tip that you can just smack it everywhere um, on your downloads. If you're creating images or graphics online, um, certainly just, I mean, it's a double-edged sword because when you create something beautiful or an infographic to promote your business, we love that it gets shared and then we don't when we're not getting credited for Mm -hmm. it. So high level, you can use a watermark or use your logo at the corner of all those graphics when you're posting to Instagram. At least it's a way that if it is shared, people who see it can know that you're the creator of it. Mm. Um, So that's, I mean, a pretty obvious one, but using a little watermark or a a stamp of your your logo at the bottom. Um, The other thing is for... This is more probably for photographers or something like that, but if people are creating images or they've had their photos taken and they want to use it because they, they've they been given the copyright by their photographer, don't upload high-res images. Use lower-res images. Um, you can also think – this is more of a techie question but or answer, but I think in the me- metadata behind certain downloads and images, you can – Put your cop like your business name yep. and stuff on that, so when it's shared. But that's more of a techie thing. Don't quote me on that. I'm just I'm also learning about the back end of websites a little bit more too. Um, but then it's really important. This is where the website terms of use come in. So say you give away a free free morning checklist to start your day right, like your morning routine checklist, and that's your resource that you provide on your website. Mm-hmm. So that whole process would be somebody comes to your website, they see this download. A pop-up box comes up where it says, enter your email here to get your free morning routine checklist. The user would put their email in, and then at the bottom, you'd have terms of use, I accept, and the privacy policy next where they click, I accept and download. And then in your terms of use, you should actually have a whole clause on your website that says how they're going to be able to use that download. So you get to use the download for these purposes. And for use, as I told you on my website, personally, not commercially, so that if that person downloads it, and you see it, them using it in their business, you can actively point to your terms of use, that say that they shouldn't be doing mm-hmm. that, and that they actually accepted when they downloaded it, those terms. So at least you have number one, evidence that they were given information as to how or how they can't use that content. And then because they've actively checked the box saying, I accept you've got a record of that electronic signature. So that's how you would protect that resource. Again, you're the only one policing it. Mm -hmm. So you would have to actively be the one seeing how they're using it, which small, like the digital world is large, but it's also pretty small. Like we all seem to be in the same kind of little circles and, and things pop up on our feeds. And if if something looks pretty similar, then it's always a, a good idea to reach out. But if you have a serious copyright infringement, I would speak to a lawyer almost immediately because there are certain steps that you should be taking and you don't want to prejudice yourself at all by, you know, going after them and slandering them and all these things. And then, you know, you're up a river without a a paddle. So if you if you are aware of copyright infringement, reach out to a lawyer. Often they'll give you um, at least an introductory call to kind of see if you have a claim or not. And my understanding, I don't do copyright litigation, is it's got to be pretty darn close mm-hmm. <laughs> to what you created in order to enforce it. Because, I mean, how many morning routine checklists are out there? I don't think that any of your listeners were the unique creator mm-hmm. of that five morning checklist, you know. So there's there has to be a lot of unique value and content in that to be totally enforceable. So, okay. you know. But having clear terms of use on your website is a great idea just to let everybody know this is how it's allowed to be used. And the same goes for online courses. If you're teaching something like that, make sure it's really clear that you can't share passwords to the course Mm -hmm. or even when for my digital downloads that I I put a lot of faith in (laughs) and trust my community who's buying them and hopefully they understand that you know i'm giving you the digital download please don't share it with your friends because you don't want to put it under lock and key and it's there's this trust factor there and i mean you hope (laughs) (laughs) Uh, but i don't want to be spending my whole day policing Policing, these things and i also don't want to be um putting them under lock and and key because i'm trying to make things really easy for everybody so Mm -hmm. um yeah it's it's kind of a double-edged sword (laughs) i get it it's But definitely watermarks. Make sure that it's clear that you are the original creator of everything.
0: Okay. So what about testimonials? For instance, you know, one time I commented on your post and then I said, uh, you know, that your bundle is amazing and so forth. What would Mm -hmm. happen if without my consent, you decided to use that comment as a testimonial?
1: So in my terms of use, I actually have something that says, I can use any comments on my blog, on my social media, et cetera, and you've accepted it. So I can use it for my marketing and promotional purposes. So that's where the terms of use would come in handy as well, where it's like anything that you post on my feeds or my social media or anything, um, I get to use that. So be, be warned be, <laughs> you know um, and I I mean most people are very happy to have their testimonial shared in most situations. I mean even in my law firm retainer, which is even more sensitive because I have client privilege where I can't be sharing the identity but in my retainer I say if you I'd love to shout you out and share, with the world that you're, you know, taking steps to protect your business and all this things, But I always check in with my clients to make sure that they're happy for me posting on social media. Mm-hmm. But with, if you have testimonials in your coaching business or something, definitely have, it if you have a client service contract, um, I think it should be in there that says like any, a media release that says anything to do with testimonials or photos we take, or, you know, even if you're all in a group zoom call, and you see it all the time. Oh, here's a screenshot of our Zoom coaching mm-hmm. call. And then someone posts it to Instagram. That could be a violation oh,
0: wow! <laughs> um,
1: of somebody's privacy because you're taking a photo of their face on this page and posting it on the internet. But it's just a great idea. So I, in all my client service contracts for Contracts Market, I've got a media release in there that says any photos taken by a third party or me or you during the term of this agreement, we get to repost. So it just covers you. Okay. So, yeah. I mean, I haven't heard too many issues where somebody gives a testimonial and is upset that someone shared but it, it could happen. because usually <laughs> But it could happen for sure. So, if you're in a sensitive coaching area, say you deal with helping divorce women transition and start dating again. And like I, I for for me that would be like a personal situation where I might not want the whole world knowing mm-hmm. that I hired a coach to help me get through my divorce and find a new partner. That is something I would just check in with your client before and say, you know, hey, thank you so much for this beautiful testimonial. Is it okay if I post and, and just send that in in an email and get them to write back, yes or no? Okay. The other thing um, about social media too. Is if you are sharing people's graphics or photos online, like a repost, you'll see it in the comments sometimes bigger companies are better at doing this now where they say, "Hey, this is great content. Can I share it to our feed? Please let me know." And then the user will say, "Of course, like share away, and then just take a quick screenshot of that <laughs> and save it um if you really want to have belts and suspenders just because that's consent, so
0: yeah, okay. Okay. I mean, it's quick, easy steps, but that can save you.
1: (laughs) Oh, it can save you. And most people, 99% of people are happy for you to share their content, but it's always the one that's not, that's going to be the squeaky wheel.
0: Oh yes, I agree. I mean, it happened to me once. I commented something and it wasn't even a review. I was just saying, Oh, great point. And then I asked a question. That person took my image, took that comment and spit it in a way like if I was learning something from them and then they used it into a visual and, you know, it, it, I don't know. I didn't like the way it made me look yeah. uh, and he yeah. never asked me. And then I actually forgot about that comment. And so I was like, did I even even make that comment? So I went back into the post yeah. and then when I realized that I wasn't acting like a newbie. I was actually just commenting, like sharing my expertise, and so forth. I was. I, I yeah. emailed the guy and I say, "You can't, you can't do that." And he took it down. Let's be honest; I would have never sued a person or whatever. But those are situations where I felt that what I said wasn't representative, you know, of what he posted. Exactly. You know,
1: yeah, you're misrepresented. Exactly. Totally. Yeah,
0: and I really felt insulted. So I know that. It could be someone else who has way more money than me and they would sue the person. You know what I mean? Because yeah. that's your image. It's your image, you know?
1: It's your image for sure. And then that's a whole separate, you know, is that painting you in a different light? Mm-hmm. Yeah, just, I mean, I think now, I think we're getting better. I think that we also as users just need to be more conscious and um, and and respectful and People will take anything they can now to create a piece of content, and so, yes, just govern yourselves accordingly on online, and not in a in a mean way, but just like be very critical of your own posting sometimes, in the sense that could it be spinned a different spun a different way, or could it be represented in a different light? Almost exactly what you're saying. So
0: I think we're getting better. I think so too, uh, and I think it's because people are more aware of individual rights you know Uh, Mm -hmm. before it wasn't really the case and I mean that's the reason why I wanted to do that podcast because I know that people cannot apply everything but they need to know the basics so that's why I thought it was really important but anyways yeah um, we're coming to the end of this interview and I have a final question for you sure what are your ultimate must-dos for new business owners
1: for new business owners So some of them are legal. Some of them are not. So the number one, register your business name. Um, If you're operating under anything other than just your regular name, Mm -hmm. um, you need to register a business name in your province. Second, open a separate bank account. (laughs) I don't know how many times I need to tell people this. Open up a separate bank account. It will save you a world of headaches when you need to do your taxes Mm -hmm. (laughs) or when you're trying to sort out if your business is making money or not. Mm -hmm. So open a separate bank account, have some kind of contract in place. Um, even if it's for beta clients. And, And I see a lot of this with coaching and it leads to disappointment for some reason, when you don't pay for a service, people don't commit to it as much. And I think it's the same with a contract. So even if you're just testing out a new coaching program, Put down some points on paper as to what both parties are expecting out of it. So I see a lot of coaches spend a lot of time developing these programs and then have beta people who are really excited to test it out for them. The coach does all the work. The client sometimes shows up for the coaching session. Sometimes they don't. And then they're expecting their review or a testimonial and they never get mm-hmm. it. The client never comes around to providing it. Like be really clear because you're providing value. Like it's, you might, it might just be your side hustle or your gig, but you're, you've spent a lot of time and resources developing this program. So if you have people that you're letting go through the program, even if it's for your benefit, make sure that they're committing to giving you a testimonial or something and have that in writing so that you can say, Hey, remember you said you'd show up to like four sessions and give me really good feedback and, and maybe a review just have something to hold it to. And then that will that contract could form the basis for your next one. Um, What else do I recommend? Yeah, just even if you can't afford a a lawyer draft a contract or a contract template, just sit down and write out, you know, basic terms. So what's the payment schedule? How do you accept payment? What happens to a deposit? Mm -hmm. I love deposits. So collect a deposit if you're not collecting money in full. Um, what happens if someone needs to cancel, what happens to the resources that you're providing, who owns those as a coach, you want to own those. So that's pretty crystal clear, but, you know, and just, just think about what, what questions might come up from both parties and put those in an email. If you don't have something, a a formal contract, that's better than nothing. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Stay away from your verbal contracts. Um, and then once you're growing, once you have a little bit of extra cash, Check in with an accountant there that, they, you know, you might need a lawyer along the way, but you're certainly going to have to have a, an accountant or somebody to help you out with the financial stuff. And I just can't stress how much easier business will be if you have a good team on your mm-hmm. side. So kind of figure out before you become a huge success <laughs> lay the groundwork to support that success. So when that time comes, then you're not fussing around with the administrative things and you can actually just focus on growing your business.
0: Thank you. Thank you so much for answering all my questions. I think it was very useful. Before closing this episode, would you mind telling my audience where they could find you?
1: Sure. So the best place to find me is online, on Instagram, um, at Contracts Market or um, Wild Coast Law. I don't have my website done yet, (laughs) but Wild Coast Law, the website will be up one day. But Contracts Market is definitely alive and ticking. So if you ever need support, just feel free to reach out to me on Instagram or through my email address there.
0: Thank you for your time. Have a great afternoon. My pleasure, Erica. Thank
1: you so much. Bye-bye.
0: That's it for today's episode. Make sure you share it with your business friends and rate this podcast a five-star. Talk to you soon.